Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute, we're going to review one of our foundational single leg exercises, and that is the K-Box Split Squat. Just like with the squat, guys, make sure you got that tether taunt when you're at full extension, and set yourself a counterbalance. Here we're going to use the barbell on the rack. Sink it down just like a regular split squat, chest tall, and drive through that front foot. I really like that back plate there to take tension off that back toe. As we progress forward, that's going to be big time to help us even keep our weight forward more. As we increase intensity and decrease volume, we're also typically cutting depth, therefore increasing transfer when we're looking at stopping power at a greater height. Guys, give this one a shot. I'm sure that this is one that you're going to find some great carryover for your athletes. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with Keith Scruggs about the role of true sports science in the development of athletes. After a real quick rundown of how he got down to USC, Keith is going to dive right into his dissertation. He's going to share with us not just what he's looking at, but what brought about the questions that he's hoping to answer with his research. You know, we then talk about how this work directly impacts what they're doing with their athletes and how he's seeing this um, utilized as an evaluation to better develop these student athletes that he gets to work with on a daily basis. You know, he then looks at the role of consistency in these evaluations and what he's seeing with that in connection to how the athletes express their skill in their actual sporting exercise. And then guys, we're going to finish it off discussing about a, how this quick assessment can be implemented and utilized in multiple aspects of the sporting world. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Keith, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Listen, I'm, I'm fired up about this one. You know, I think that the big thing is making sure that we can get people that are doing the research and, and asking and digging to, to get into the dirt of what we're looking at moving forward as a profession. And I'm fired up to get to what you're, you're talking about here today with, with your dissertation. But first, let, let's let everybody know, you know who you are, where you're at, and how you got down there to, to USC. Yeah, so uh, it's been a, been a weird journey. Um, so I started off, I was uh, an athlete, student athlete. I was at UNC Asheville, mid-major school. Uh, actually went in for baseball, battled some injuries, ended up being a walk-on, turned scholarship, 
athlete, uh, team captain on the track team. You know, luckily, just having having some general athletic uh, abilities allowed me to continue my athletic career in college. Uh, but I uh, battled another injury there my last year, my senior year, and didn't get to compete. So I started volunteering as a undergrad assistant with our strength conditioning department. Um, I'm just I'm one of those I like to work. I, and I was on scholarship and I didn't want to be taking money from the, from the university and not earn it. So I asked if I could, you know, be a volunteer assistant with strength conditioning and they were all for it. Um, I had a good mentor there, Dr. Brad DeWeese, uh, who's at East Tennessee State right now. Um, so I started working with him and, and he threw me in the fire. He said, here's your teams. You've got, uh, you've got you know, men's women's soccer, men's women's tennis. You're going to help with men's basketball, women's basketball. You're going to help with baseball and help with track and field. Okay. So, I mean, I was green in the game, and uh, he just threw me in the fire, and I had to figure it out. But that's what allowed me to, to learn and grow. Uh, and using his connection, uh, went to East Tennessee State University for my master's under Doc and Meg Stone. Um, I, was, I was Meg's last GA when she was still actively coaching. Uh, so, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. I don't know if I ran her out of coaching or, uh, or what, but, uh, when I was there, I helped her with track and field, uh, dominantly with the throwers. I tried to help out with soccer and volleyball and baseball and basketball when I was there as well. Uh, it was also an Olympic training site at the time. So we had Olympic weightlifters in there. Um, and I, that's where I kind of understood, like it was, you had sports science. So we had the sports science lab, but we were also, part of the training aspect as well so we did both as as GAs there um, so it wasn't just you're in the lab or you're with the team you had to do both and then uh, got reconnected with Brad DeWeese when he went up to the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid New York working with our Winter Olympic teams going into the Sochi Olympics uh, I went up with him started working with bobsled skeleton and luge uh, predominantly and then ski aerialist um, and some biathlon and uh, it was kind of the same thing there. They had a sports science division and they had strength conditioning and they hired Brad to be the director of both to, to try to bring it all together. So we, we literally eliminated the, the space in between and had it as all all inclusive, like sports science is strength conditioning, strength conditioning is sports science. So we try to get our athletes and our coaches to see that it's, it's all part of the same process. It's not one or the other and the other. It's, it's all included. It's part of the big process. Uh, from there, I actually struggled to, uh, to get back into the collegiate setting. Um, you know how it is. It's, it's a good old boy system. And, and I've been out of the collegiate set, setting for just a couple of years at that point. And I had interviews and same thing kept popping up. It's like, well, you know, you've been out of the collegiate setting for so long, you know, you, you think you can still do this. I, yeah, I'm still a coach. I'm still a practitioner. I'm still, you know, I still had to work with athletes. And at the Olympic Training Center, we had developmental athletes coming in for luge as young as 12 years old up to three-time Olympians who were in their 30s. So it was a wide spectrum. But I was still working with athletes, still working with our sports meds, still working with sport coaches. The constraints are different. You know, we don't have the, the interblade hour constraints, but you're still training athletes and you're still having to communicate and build relationships. Uh, so I took a pit stop. I uh, got connected with a guy named Darren Holmes. Um, he was a 
pitcher from the Asheville area, uh, pitched with the Atlanta Braves, uh, won a World Series with the Yankees, and he was part of the uh, Stedman Hawkins Clinic in Greenville, South Carolina. So went in with him, worked out of that facility for a little while. We had pro baseball players, minor league guys, high school kids. Uh, we brought in Olympic athletes from different from different areas. Um, and we were training out of it was the Stephen Hawkins Clinic, and you had athletic training and and physical therapists all right there. And then you had our strength conditioning section. So we're all part of the same group, like literally side by side. Um, but Things didn't really mature there the way that we were, were hoping. Uh, Darren ended up going back to Major League Baseball. He's now a pitching coach for the Colorado Rockies. And I started looking at ways to get back into the collegiate setting. I knew at that point, going from the Olympic round to semi-private industry uh, owned by the hospital, but I knew that I wanted to be back in the collegiate setting. This is where I, I, I'm more comfortable. This is the setting I enjoy. Like, if I want to go out and watch a tennis match, I can go out and watch a tennis match. If I want to go watch basketball, I can go watch basketball. Um, and I like the long-term aspect of it. So I felt like in the, especially in the private sector, I didn't like the, the flash-in-the-pan relationships. And so you have people, if you know, three to five months, and then boom, they're gone. And I felt like I just kept repeating the same things over and over and over. I was just stuck in a cycle. So I like to, I like to see and in, in, uh, long-term growth and build relationships. And uh, luckily, I found my way down to South Carolina. I volunteered for a while, just kind of be at the, trying to be at the right place at the right time. A position became available. And uh, Billy Anderson called me into his office one day. and was like, hey, position opened up. Do you want it? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. So this is my fifth year uh, at South Carolina. I've been taking classes towards my PhD and coaching full time simultaneously for the last five years. That's rad, man. Always great to get a, a Brad Dewey shout out to. Um, hopefully at Asheville, he's, he already had attained his impeccable choice when it comes to, to music. It's one thing yeah. Brad and I definitely have in common is that the, you know, the, the good hip hop music can get you going a long way when it comes to getting through a day. Yeah. And that's where Brad and I had a similar path to, to where we're, where we're, well, where he's at and where I'm going, I feel like, uh, I mean, he went to college for baseball and battled some injuries, ended up being a walk on the track team. So we immediately connected. He was my coach. And then I got the coach for him at two different places. Um, so, yeah, that, I give Brad a shout out. He's the one who kind of set me on this path and, and set me on this journey. Because little did I know when I was at Asheville, he was taking courses towards his doctorate at NC State. So he was taking classes online and then going to Raleigh on uh, Saturdays and doing like all day classes. And I didn't even know it. Um, and then that's when I went to ETSU. He finished up there, got the, the gig in Lake Placid, and gave me a call. So, yeah. Well, speaking of people that are on that double grind when it comes to taking classes and writing a dissertation while they're working, <laughs> you're doing some pretty interesting work and looking at some things a little bit differently than what the traditional viewpoint of some of these evaluations are. Yeah. So let's talk about the what's wise and how's as to how you came about to the question you're trying to, to dive deeper into. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not doing anything too different than what we did at Asheville and at ETSU and the Olympic Training Center. Um, so we were doing, you know, various jump testing, uh, but we use force plates and we had dual force plates at both locations. And we did, you know, the unloaded to loaded jumps and we did it on different populations. And I loved it. And I thought the dynamic, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not bashing the, the isometric mid-thigh pull. I just feel like you're going to get, especially in the collegiate setting and most athletes, you're going to get a more true score or true representation of what they're capable of doing with a dynamic assessment versus an isometric assessment. Um, so I prefer the jumps over the isometric assessments. And um, when I got here, I mean, we didn't have force plates. And I was like, what can I do differently? And we had tendo units. So, you know, we use tendo units in training some. Um, I'm not big on using them year round. I like to to promote the intrinsic feedback sources instead of just ex, extrinsic sources. Um, so I just kind of combined some things that we were doing. So I started doing the static squat jumps with our assessments. And the reason I did that is because I started looking at uh, from here and at previous uh, places too. And something we never talk about is when we do vertical jump testing, so if you use a vertex or whatever, there comes a time where we hit a ceiling. There's a ceiling effect. You can no longer jump higher anymore. Otherwise, the Olympic high jump record would be broken every year, and it's not. And they train specifically to jump high. And they train their butts off year-round uh, across the whole quad, and they may or may not improve, and the world record is still standing. So why am I just testing vertical jumps with indoor and beach volleyball when one, they may or may not improve, especially once they reach a certain level of, of, of their athletic ability and jumping ability. And that's not the only thing they do in their sport. Um, so and that's one thing I asked the coaches, like, you know, what do you want to test? And the first thing they went to was uh, vertical jumps. And I'm just not being an asshole or anything. I just simply asked why. And it kind of took them back a little bit. And they were like, well, uh, because that's what we've always done. Yeah, okay. Now, what information does it give you? Well, it, uh, you know, lets us know if they, you know, if they, if they can, you know, how high they can jump over the net. If they can, you know, clear the net. Okay. Well, are you recruiting people at the SEC level that don't meet the minimum standard of the sport? Well, no, not at all. So, again, what information is it really giving you? And sometimes these, these kids may train their butts off and they don't see improvements. So, like, if you're going through an offseason, you're focusing on match strength or building a foundation, and they're already at a, a certain level, uh, they're already strong enough in a sense, they may not improve. So then they're like, well, this training is not helping me at all. Or what if they only improve a half inch? So I've been getting up early. I've been going to bed at a reasonable time. I've been fueling my body. I've been working my butt off, and I improved a half inch. That's it. I just felt like it, it, it deters people from continuing to focus on the process of working hard uh, and getting out of it what they need to and how it translates to the sport. So I started looking at the jump velocity with uh, the Tendo, put it on peak velocity. Uh, so another thing that we started looking at uh, at ETSU and Olympic Training Center was uh, looking at impulse. And traditionally, impulse is found as force times time. And I'm not a physics major by any means, but 
I understand it enough to be dangerous. Uh, so I started looking at it, and it's, it's, it's just equations. It's plug and play. What information do I have, and what can I what can I do with it? So if you have body weight or system mass, and you have a way to look at change of momentum. So if it's a static squat jump, you squat down three, two, one, jump as high and as fast as you can. You're going from zero to a peak velocity, which is a change in momentum. So change of momentum times system mass is impulse. So I started looking essentially at impulse momentum theorem uh, and tracking their jump velocity and their change of that across time. Um, so five years into it now, it's kind of my, my questions have kind of evolved a little bit or grown. But actually the other week I was writing and I went back and looked at some of my notes from 2014 and I've kind of gone full circle. I had my original questions and I kind of went around the world and now I'm right back at my original question. So it's funny how that works. So then let's let's dive deeper into that. And I think that a lot of this what's super cool, you know, with it to me is the you know, the idea that you talked about that you guys were doing with literally tearing the wall down between the weight room and the lab. So let's talk about how this fits in what you're doing with training and what you're finding with these young people that you get to work with. So, um, so for example, we'll start with like this semester's off season training with beach volleyball and in the off season, you know, I only have a semester with them. So it's predominantly focused on strength and movement or mobility. That's our two big things. So, uh, it's another thing I got from Brad is, is thinking about, you know, we want to focus on strength, endurance or, or movement, endurance, strength, uh, max strength, power, speed, and then uh, performance. So even though our predominant focus was on strength and mobility, it's not like we turned the stove all the way off for power and speed and performance. It's still got to be on to a degree. It's just like a, you know, mobility and strength was on high to where everything else was like medium to low to simmer because um, we're not trying to peak right now anyway so one thing we did is uh, we just finished up our uh, assessments last week and I had I've got two girls on the team that in, in my view is they're strong enough so focusing on max strength they didn't see an improvement in their vertical jump or their approach vertical jump but they were still at least able to maintain or slightly improve their jump velocity because they did get a little bit stronger. But if we've made that switch and we started focusing on power or speed too soon, is it sustainable? Are they going to be able to hold on to those qualities through May uh, of 20, 2020? Most likely not because their strength is literally their strength. But then the majority of the team, especially at this level, Strength's not always the, the answer, but more times than not, getting generally stronger for most collegiate athletes is going to be a good thing. So the rest of the team saw improvements in their vertical jumps, their approach vertical jumps, and their jump velocity. So that's what I told them is like, if we focus predominantly on strength and you still saw improvements in power, the sweet spot between force output and velocity, and we haven't even focused on this end of the spectrum yet, that means we had a strength deficit so we got to a level that we need to be and then once we get in season so now flip the script i got indoor volleyball training right now we're trying to maintain strength as much as we can i don't really like risking doing vertical jumps and approach vertical jumps in season i just don't like the, the risk of injury i'm always evaluating my two rois 
what's going to give me the most return on investment or give them the most return on investment and what's going to be uh, what's my risk of injury. So if the risk of injury is too high and the return on investment or the knowledge I'm getting from it is low. It's not worth doing right now. But in training, we still did jump velocity. It's, it's a very controlled movement. They like seeing that number. And I didn't have anyone have a fall off of more than 3% off of their all-time best. So at this point in the season, late in the season, we are peaking, performing, moving our body fast and efficiently. Um, so that I'll, it gives me another option of an assessment that reduces risk of injury, but gives me a lot of information, gives the coaches a lot of information. Because uh, in jump velocity also, there's research showing that it has a, a connection with central nervous system fatigue. That's why a lot of people are doing these readiness assessments, doing uh, you know vertical jumps before training or before games on force plates or switch mats. It's the same concept. I'm just using the tools that I have available. Um, so I think that's all cool and people are doing something similar. But I think the kicker that I'm tying into my dissertation to try to tie it to performance or coach's perception of skill is, you know, if someone improves their vertical or someone improves on their squat and you go to the coach, hey, you know, so-and-so improved their squat 30 pounds. They improved their vertical, you know, two inches. Great. Well, they're, they're still not consistent enough on the field or on the court. And I kept hearing that word consistency. So I was like, well, what, what's the way that I can look at consistency aside from just the traditional assessments that we're doing? And you always see – non-starters that are in the top five and ten percent of of you know of a sprint test or an agility or vertical jump or a clean or a squat or a hex bar whatever it may be so they're in the top five and ten percent for those assessments but they're not contributing on the field or on the court and the word i kept hearing was consistency and something i'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd looking into like stock markets we look at like stock futures and that's one thing that they look at is consistency how variable are they so then I started looking into impulse variability theory and started trying to bring that into this setting. So aside from just looking at their, their peak velocity, their impulse, uh, if they're doing five jumps, I look at their variance between their best jump and their worst jump and across that set, so interset variance, which is impulse variability. So it's a simple assessment, squat down to approximately 90 at the knee, Three, two, one, jump as high and as fast as you can. So you're asking your body to give maximal output for a simple task. And the theory is if you're highly variable with that, now you add in all the other degrees of freedom of the, and the environment and everything else, how variable are they going to be with their skill expression? So the, the theory is if, you're, if you can command your body and you can dial it in, you can give close to 100% every time consistently, you dial it in to 80% and you can be as close to that as possible every time that you do it. Now, when you add in more degrees of freedom and more complexity, you're going to have less variance of expressing skill. So what I've been looking at um, using beach volleyball for this. Um, so I've had the coaches without, without seeing the numbers, I had them rank the players based on their perception of skill expression or, or ability. Just skill alone, not athleticism. Who's the best skilled athlete? And then I started running uh, correlations of that. And I ran, you know, what their squats were, what their hex bars uh, were, what vertical jumps, approach vertical jumps, what their cleans. We did med ball throws. We did agility testing. So I compared all those traditional assessments to their skill 
the ranking of skill, none of those had a very strong correlation to skill rank. But when I looked at jump velocity alone, that had a 0.73 correlation to skill, higher than all of the other traditional assessments. And then when you bootstrap the variability or the variance part of it, so are they on the faster end of the spectrum and are they very consistent? When you combine those two and then run the correlations, I had a 0.92 correlation to skill rank. And I was like, whoa, something's going on here. I might be onto something. I'm not the smartest man in the world. I never claimed to be, but I just keep asking questions and using the resources that I have. And I feel like this is the missing link or the nexus to what we do as strength conditioning coaches to, to one, get the athletes to buy into what we're doing, to get the coaches to see the importance of what we're doing and how it translates to, um, to the court, to the field. Which is huge because we always talk about buy-in and things like that when it comes to coaches and them understanding. So a metric like this that can actually connect that could be priceless. It, it could be. And I'm, again, I'm using it with volleyball now because that's what I have access to. The coaches are giving their consent. The players are all for it. And that's what I have available at this moment. But I think if you're looking at it from a skill standpoint, down the line, I'd like to look at this with maybe golfers, maybe tennis players, um, and, and try to compare those to that, or even pitchers, something where there's a high skill demand. Like, I don't know that this would be very valuable looking at it from a, like an offensive defensive lineman standpoint, or maybe even with basketball and comparing it to shooting percentage, you know, uh, with one of your point guards or something, or looking at it compared to uh, free throws. So I started doing some running some numbers with our starters for the indoor team because everything's uh, everything's collected there. We have stats out the wazoo for that. So I started looking at it from uh, a, a serve standpoint because that's the most controlled variable that we have to look at in the game. And that's, I'm seeing the same thing there our, out of our starter group. So one, we can kind of differentiate between starters and non-starters based on where they fall on the spectrum and how uh, consistent they are. Now within that within that cohort, I can now look at from the service line. Are they able to be consistent at the service line? And are they are they making errors? Are they serving balls out? And there's some subjectivity to that. So like was it a was it a good serve? Were they aggressive and it just missed out, or it just hit the tape and fell back over? Uh, but I'm kind of seeing the same thing there. So within that cohort of starters and people who do serves, the ones that, again, are on the higher end of the spectrum and are consistent also tend to be consistent with their service. And sometimes, you know, if you have seven service errors in a match, that's the difference between winning and losing. So then where outside of the connection between the strength and conditioning sports science world and the coaching do you see this driving training decisions at all? Uh, going, going back to that, the central nervous system, so a readiness assessment. It's a quick assessment. So we do the same warm-up every time um, to get 20, and I only have four racks and four tendo units. So with that being said, and having about 20 athletes, it only takes me about 15 minutes to get through the warm-up and the assessment. And then if we have an hour training session, I still got 45 minutes left to train. But I can use that as my readiness assessment. Where are they at? Do we need to make changes for that session? Because I'm getting immediate feedback. Now, I'll go in and dig in a little bit deeper after the session. Um, 
but I think it can make it help us make informed decisions. And again, people are already doing this stuff with switch mats and uh, with force plates and, and doing vertical jumps. But I think that's the, the component that we're missing is uh, the, the impulse variability component. So yeah, impulse is force times time, but they're actually moving their body in a dynamic state, which they have to do for their sport. And maybe they maintain their best, but then are they becoming more variable as the season progresses? So we had one of our uh, indoor volleyball girls last year. At the beginning of the season, we tested. She was on the higher end of the spectrum, very, very consistent. Her serves at the beginning of the season were very, very good, very, very aggressive, and, and she was scoring us a lot of points from behind the service line. Then we had a little point there about mid-season where she was making a lot of service errors, and we did our – uh, assessments again she maintained her peak she was right there at her best but she became more variable so I've got my spreadsheet set up to where if I see a fall off of more than three percent uh, from their previous then it shows up in yellow if it's more than five percent it shows up in red and about that point in the season she was in the red from a variant standpoint but not from a peak performance standpoint so we changed some things in our training. And I, my theory behind that was maybe there's some central nervous system fatigue going on in there. She liked to work hard. She liked to lift heavy. She liked to go go for it even in season. So I just adjusted some of the numbers and started getting her to focus more on the intent. So yes, this is a little bit lighter, but move it fast and try to do it the same every time. Meet or exceed that expectation. So we made that switch in training. And then a couple of weeks later, we did a reassessment. Her serves got better, and her variance uh, became more narrow as well. So, again, this is that was an end of one, but I'm, I've got five years of this data that I've been looking at, and it tends to keep saying the same things over and over again. Yeah, and it has to start with the end of one anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a case study, and I got another case study doing the same thing with an Olympic high jumper, and we compared – uh, herds across the season going into the uh, going into the 2016 Olympics in Rio, and same thing in that season, her peak stayed up there, but the 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 weeks that she would go out and compete and didn't compete at, at her best was the weeks that she was also highly variable. So we tested every week going into those competitions, and the weeks that she was at a high level but more. Uh, narrow with her variance, she performed better. Because again, even with a high jump, it comes down to consistency. You know, you may be able to jump, you know, one out of your six jumps may be boom up there, but if you don't make it to the finals, you may not get that one jump. But if you can consistently be at that level and then find a little bit in there to get a little bit above, those tend to be the ones that win in the Olympic Games, that win in collegiate athletics, win in professional sports. It's consistency across the board. You don't have to be great every day, but if you're good every day, greatness will come. I love that line, man. I love that line. If you're good every day, greatness is going to come. Yep. Consistency is key. Yeah, man. Well, Keith, let me get to – go ahead. Yeah, and that's allowed me to kind of tie messages into the strength conditioning setting. So every day that we're doing – we're in the weight room or in doing a conditioning set, uh, session, that is like our motto with our teams right now is being consistent. So give it 100% of what you got for that day and then trust me to make those adjustments to where if we're in the weight room, maybe we scale back on the weight. So I loosely use percentages, 
but I also got to use some subjective judgment as well. And that's where I'm not, I'm not opposed to using technology where, you know, you're, you're using percentages and you plug it in and it tracks everything, but you got to be able to, to use creative, creative thinking and critical thinking skills to make decisions on the fly and long-term. I love it, man. That's, that's sensational. And it all ties itself together. But let me get you out of here on this, brother. Where can right. people keep up with what you're doing? Where can they see more? Where can they, where can they find out about the research and how you're building things? Well, I'm a little quiet right now because uh, any free time I have, I'm trying to write. Um, but I, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, and I'm not one of those coaches. I don't, I don't film while I'm coaching. I coach. It's not a knock to anybody that does, but luckily I have resources here. Like typically there's a camera around, uh, you know, we put stuff on social media, you know, we put it on Snapchat or and it's on a team account. So if you want to follow what we're doing from a training standpoint, I ask that you follow the teams because it's about them. I want them, I want people to see what they're doing. Uh, it's not about me. So I, I hardly ever post anything about what we do. So if you want to see that, follow the team accounts. Um, I'm a little more active on Twitter just because I can, I, you know, I can find research. I can post stuff, uh, but it's at uh, sports, S-P-O-R-T-S uh, underscore Scruggs, my last name, S-C-R-U-G-G-S. Uh, feel free to, to shoot me a, an email. Um, if you send an email and I don't respond, don't be afraid to send another one because sometimes they get lost in, in my inbox or I, I, sometimes I think that I reply and I don't. Uh, my email is sports, uh, S-P-O-R-T-S dot Scruggs, S-C-R-U-G-G-S at gmail.com. Love it, my man. Love it. Truly appreciate truly appreciate your time today as I trip over my words. And I'm stoked to see where this keeps going because I think that, again, like these new ideas and these better ways of evaluating these young people are, are worth their weight in gold. So keep up the great work, brother. Truly appreciate yeah. all you're doing. No, I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, and I'd love to do another session once I finish up. Bet. All Mark right. it down. Mark it down. Appreciate you, man. Cheers, and we'll be in touch real soon. All right. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate yeah, it. Man. Have a good one. You too. And a huge thank you to Keith Scruggs for spending the time with us today, guys. Just some open, honest sharing. And a man really sharing his work and his research and what's going forward here with a really unique and awesome evaluation. This idea of impulse and consistency of it is really something that I never thought of. And I think that this is a great, simple way that, you know, we can look at these athletes to make sure, you know, readiness, ability to perform, outputs are getting better. It's really ticking a lot of boxes when you're talking about evaluations. So I can't thank Keith enough, not just for his open, honest, and candid sharing, but for identifying something that we should do better at looking for a solution, and really digging deeper to find the answer. Keith, keep up the awesome work, brother. It's truly appreciated. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, as always. We are just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.